0: Listeners, welcome to the Monday Morning Macabre Christmas Special. We've got tales and mysteries that would frighten even the devil. Who's on that rooftop? Is it St. Nick and his deer? Why no, you idiot. It's the Monday Morning Macabre Boys here to spread laughter and fear. They spend Christmas with Krampus and Yankee Swap with ghosts. But it's you, the loyal listener, that they care for the most. So as you listen around fires with Coco, remember this. The violent crime and murder rates skyrocket around Christmas. It's Monday, it's morning, and it's a merry macabre Christmas. Ooh, it's the Monday Morning Macabre Christmas special. Here we are! First oh, and oh, last. Oh, 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 Ooh, was that Little Santy Boy? I think it was, I heard a <laughs> little. Oof. I heard a little Santy Boy. <sighs> oh, you know, that so many was people crampus. have shut it off. <laughs> they might have, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Monday Morning Macabre, the show where we get spooky and creepy and dark and weird. Scones, Darcy. And hey, happy Hanukkah if you don't hey, celebrate Christmas. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> eight nights of, of horror. We should, oh, next year we'll do a, oh, a Hanukkah yeah, we'll do special. A Hanukkah, eight, eight nights, nights of, of horror, horror where we quit our day jobs <laughs> and record <laughs> eight days in a row. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's Scones and Darcy here again. Mm-hmm. We're excited because it's Christmas time. We've got <laughs> we've gone shopping. We've gotten gifts. We've gotten kind of. Sort of. Yeah, the, well, it, it's really up to UPS at this point if I get yeah. my gifts on U, time or not. UPS is the adult Santa Claus. Yeah, my nieces and nephews might have to wait for the reality of ground shipping. <laughs> <laughs> and today is a very special episode because we are going to be doing a double story episode where we're both going to bring you a little Christmas present. A little present under the tree. A wrap little it up. Take m- m- your phone. Put it on the podcast app that you like. Wrap it up. Put it under the tree. Put it under the tree. Play it. Hit play. play it. via Bluetooth. <laughs> Open it. It's us. It's us. Right there. Right, waiting for you. Merry Christmas. Merry Krambus. Happy Chrysler. That's a vine. I don't even know if people <laughs> know about it anymore. <laughs> Scones is going to be giving us our first story. Ooh, I am. <laughs> he was prepared. Of course, for I this. am. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the Christmas special. So obviously, it's not just any old episode. Usually, one of us is the macabrista, and the other one is the, uh, power, the power receiver of it's the. the-, <laughs> the power- what would you say? Power receiver of I thought you said the power bottom. One of us is the power bottom, and this time it's Christmas, so we're both <laughs> the power bottom. <laughs> Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. So both of our stories obviously are going to have a little Christmas flair. Or at least I hope they are. They are, right? Oh, they'll be Christmasy. Oh, they're Christmassy. We're actually just gonna read a Christmas carol because it has <laughs> ghosts in it. <laughs> I brought Goodnight Moon. Fuck. Yeah, you know how they <laughs> You know how they redo Christmas Carol every fucking every year? Every single year? There's another one coming out with Andy Circus in it. Hey, I can't wait for another um did, Muppets one? No, the girl from High School Musical to do like another Lifetime movie about Vanessa Hudgens? Vanessa Hutchins? Hudgens. I will not have you t- disrespecting oh, Vanessa Hudgens on here. I don't think there's an Anne in her name. Vanessa? It used to be. I think she changed it to Vanessa Hudgens for... Wow, you know way more versus. than I expected you to know about right, Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens. Vanessa if you're... Come on and we'll interview. Yeah, we'll have but a good interview. She has a new Netflix show with the All girl right, who also... She was... uh The girl from Entourage. I don't know. Okay, never mind. Anyway... But why don't we listen to Scone's a spooky story? <laughs> <laughs> My spooky story, Vanessa Hutchins is not featured in this story. Instead, I'm going to be talking today about the Warminster thing. The Warminster Thing. The Warminster Thing. So, thing is in, it's like a creature, or like a, a like swamp thing. It's more like it's from a time when people sucked at naming stuff. Okay, so they're like, where are we? What is it? <laughs> uh, we in Warminster, it's a, it's a, and it's yeah, a, it's I don't know, a thing. fucking thing, dude. Um, yeah, it's before the hit movie, The Thing. I love the movie, The Thing. I love the movie, The Swamp Thing. Ooh, good DC comic, too. So, True. the Warminster Thing. If you're from the United Kingdom... The English Isles, you probably have heard of this, but everywhere else in the world is not really that well known. I've never heard of the Warminster thing. It's more of kind of a local legend, but there it's pretty famous. I like that. So it's like a Nessie almost. Kind of, yeah. Well, Nessie's really famous, though, because she's That's like true, featured I in... Yeah, like, I mean, everyone knows what Nessie is. Yeah, like there was an episode of The Simpsons where they caught Nessie. Like. Anyway, the Warminster thing. Warminster is a small town in southern England. Okay. A little note, a little fun, spooky note. It's 15 miles from Stonehenge, and okay. according to historical records, King Arthur also ruled over this area. That's cool. Today, it's a small suburban town. About 18,000 people live there. Okay, and and does this Warminster thing event take place a long time ago? Does it take place? When does it take place? It's all relative. It takes place starting on Christmas Day. Ooh, jingle 1964. bells, jingle 1964. Jingle. Oh. 1964, Christmas Day. Well, reports not really taken seriously of weird sounds and stuff have been going back to the 1930s in the area. Okay. But the first legitimate kind of phenomena happens in the 1960s, specifically 1964, as I mentioned. A local man named Arthur Shuttlewood. That's an English-ass name. Yeah, that dude (laughs) fucking tea and crumpets all day, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he fucking watches... He Football literally plays croquet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all the goddamn day long. And so he's the editor and reporter for a local newspaper, the Warminster Journal. Okay. He gets mail and writes a story for about a local housewife. Her name was Marjorie By, and she reported that on Christmas Day, she was walking to Christmas Mass and heard a loud crackling like branches being pulled over Ooh. gravel. Ooh. Warminster thing. Now his story, titled Bell Hill Mystery, Weird Noises on Christmas Morning, was (laughs) buried in the paper because it's obviously not huge news at the time. I mean, to write an entire article about a lady hearing some noises. Despite being buried, it was published in January, but it exploded with popularity and over 30 people responded to the journal, which is pretty big for a tiny town. That's huge. They didn't even have Twitter or any kind of social media. Exactly. And all the responses were different People writing to verify that they also heard oh, the noise on Christmas that's Day. super creepy. The Warminster Journal later was flooded every day for months with people writing in about reporting strange occurrences in the area. Everyone is hearing these branches and having weird occurrences? Yes, and that's not so just cool. that. They're also seeing weird things in the sky. Oh, what kind of things? Tell me, Stone. Metallic orbs, cigar-shaped ships, odd sounds, and flying saucers. We got UFOs. We got we cigars. Got <laughs> we got, hey, we got UFOs. Hey, uh, if you need UFOs, we hey, caught up. Where's my dog? UFOs. Hey, Bindi the duck. Hey, I'm just not going to talk for the rest of the episode. <laughs> people even reported that their animals were affected. So like dogs, sheep and stuff oh, would sp- act really strange when this out. these occurrences happened. And other people reported that their cars and electronics even failed this after is these happened. Straight up some Stranger Things business going yeah, on. Yeah, right in there. That HG Whale shit. But no one could get a photo. Weird, right? All these people are seeing and hearing and doggies. (laughs) Granted, like, when you... for our listeners, like, you have to put yourself in the time of 1964. Cameras were expensive and yeah, you did point. not, like, it took time to turn on and, like, didn't yeah, have film and, like, so yeah. if something was flying by, like, you couldn't just take a picture or a Snapchat. You couldn't just TikTok every alien yeah, that came by, you I mean, you by, can't you know? just do a sick dance to your favorite rap music and have an alien show up in the background. I can't just put a puppy filter on the spaceship, you know? <laughs> Why are we going Midwest I don't know, but that felt right, though, right? <laughs> One bloke said, I don't know. Why did I say bloke? Also, it's kind of Canadian. Yeah. Anyway. Said he attempted to take a photo from his window. Yep. He was like, holy shit, there's a ship in the sky. It's I'm going to grab my thing. camera. He went to take it. When he was holding it, he said the camera in his hand started shaking. Ooh. And like, yeah, he yeah, could yeah, feel yeah. stuff inside it kicking around. Shit. The picture never came out. The camera was not working. He also said that he felt pins and needles down all ah. one side of his body. He later claimed that... Whatever in the sh- was in the ship, it saw him and targeted him with some kind of radioactive or a radio signal attack that caused that. Okay, so, well, now, wait, is he saying that this attack was due to this radio? Like, yeah, he's like, they must have seen me. Okay, because yeah, like, Because yeah, yeah. why time, else would like, all this shit explode? And yeah, like, he light. was just taking a picture of it. Like, right. they must have known he was taking a picture and targeted him with some kind of These signal These are some jamming. real chill aliens, though. They didn't, like, vaporize him. They're just, like, just... Turn off his camera for a sec. Give yeah. him some p- piggly wiggly feels in his arms and legs. I don't know what they're here for, man. So fast forward. That spring is when all this shit's going down. Nineteen sixty-five. Warminster becomes the hub of UFO sighting. I wonder if it's do Hopkinsville goblins maybe upgraded their ship. It may be. Cruised over Warminster. Like a European vacation. <laughs> so Hopkins Hopkinsville goblins. European vacation. On the day of June 3rd, more than a dozen people, none related to each other or having contact with each oh, other, shit. reported seeing the same cigar-shaped ship. That's sick. Are we sure it's not a blimp? I don't, you know. It could be. Could be a blimp. It's the 60s. Blimps, are blimps out of style by then? Yeah. How many exploded blimps are like like <laughs> One, like, yeah. It's a good point. So skeptics and wackos of all types all come to the town. And uh, witnesses just flood the media there. And they become associated with all these rumors that start to pop up. So first, it's just sightings. It's like, oh, there's right, ships. Right. Oh, there's sounds. Oh, cigars. The rumors start to become a lot more violent. Oh, so we're, in we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're starting to uh, get to chapter two, the yep. attacks. One man claims that a whole flock of pigeons was instantly killed by the sounds. By the sounds. Like he was walking about the town. And they just fucking died? There's a bunch of pigeons. The sound occurs. The entire flock of pigeons dies. Damn. We need New York City is like, yo, can we get some of that? Because these pigeons are everywhere. The same man claims that a ton of rodents were found dead throughout the town with huge puncture marks in them that could not be explained by cats or dogs. The man's name was David Halden, and he became a big perpetuator of the rumors associated with these sightings. And people were believing him. Okay. He's convincing other townsfolk that all this shit is real? Yeah. So I got a lot of this. There's a 1968 or 66 documentary on the whole thing. Ooh. So very recently made after it was a documentary. That's what I watched online? to get a lot of... This. Yes, you can watch it on YouTube. Oh, cool. There's no cool. fucking just rights or anything. <laughs> it's just like BBC made it and just like it's so old. And it's the warminster thing on BBC no, it's, News. it's great, dude. All the people who are like... Have the most like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the accents are amazing. They're like yeah, I was just walking along and cigar safe shit came and I was. They're all so chill there. about it, they're, dude. They're so chill about it. Like <laughs> they don't fucking care at all. Kelly if, and Hopkinsville, there's video? a shootout over owls. Yeah. These motherfuckers are like, you know, and, yeah. a ship. Um. and they don't give a shit if you believe it or not. They're like, yeah, it was just there, and I went to work. The Beatles, <laughs> yeah, the Beatles, had a great <laughs> August 1965, the population of the town doubles because of how many people were coming to the oh, town. Oh, They get like a bunch. Oh, that's cool. That's how many people like are like, I need to fucking see this cigar shaped ship and Damn. hear these sounds and watch the so it's making die. the rounds throughout the land. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, if you're in England, I feel like a good amount of people know about this area. Probably, it's kind of like the Roswell, New Mexico, of right, the United right, right, States right, yeah. for England. August 27th, 1965. <gasps> A town hall meeting is officially called to discuss this because that's of d- how big of an issue awesome. it's become. So the it. municipality has to recognize yeah, it. The, nice. the local government has to be like, God damn it. All right, aliens, what's up with them? The town hall was supposed to be the government talking to the public and being like, talking down the rumors, but the whole thing devolves into people just yelling out complaints about how they're wake, woken up in the night, how they're disturbed <laughs> so by English. It's amazing. It's so UK. They're not upset about alien existence. They're not scared. It's like, it woke me up last night. Yeah, last night became midnight. Yeah, I was watching me Monty Python (laughs) and the fucking thing interrupted it. Finally, the first picture of one of these sightings is taken by a man named Gordon Faulkner. He talks to our man, Arthur Shuttlewood, the guy who's kicked off everything with this article. Arthur Shuttlewood, to this point, is a huge skeptic of everything. He's like... Basically, like I'm sorry, I wrote about it. Like none of it's real. This is hysteria. All of that changes in September when he claims to when he sees the photo, and then he later claims to have seen the cigar shape himself. Shit. He does a total 180 on his stance and is like, "No, this is all real. Shit's going on." In his interview, he like states that he was like he names the date 928 at 3:42 p.m. I saw the cigar shape flying through the sky. 1960 eight you said or right. no that was three the 60s september 28th of 1965 gotcha i'm trying to think of like what was going on at the time that might explain it like in terms of military or government or yeah i mean any it's kind the, of it's kind of an arms race because that's when the soviet yeah, union say. really starts to get established and i guess England's but still part with like nato going on I don't know, but it's 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 a lot looser than it being like, 1941, and it's like, yeah. well, there's... <laughs> it's probably a German, <laughs> and they're probably going to bomb you. No. Christmas Day of 1965, a year after the first sightings, Ooh. a ton of people come to report that they had seen the Warminster thing, mm-hmm. along with hearing varying sounds, which included a report from Shuttleworth himself. Oh. Mm, do go on. So around this time is when it, all these sightings... <laughs> especially the cigar shit, which is what most gets reiterated, is what is called the Warminster thing. Okay, so this time period is the Warminster thing. Yes. Like, all of this is what they call the Warminster Warminster thing. thing. Again, they're not very good at naming stuff. (laughs) But... So, yeah, okay. So this entire event gets titled... It it continues into 1966. Hysteria continues in a group called Bufora, which is the British UFO Research Association showing up and conducting a full-scale investigation. Dr. John Cleary Baker was a member and said that, quote, they have no doubt whatsoever that the sounds and sights were caused by flying saucers. Shit. This guy's a doctorate. Yeah. These like, are, I don't care they, uh, yeah. how crazy you are. If you have a doctorate, like, you have to have some semblance of Yeah, the legitimacy something. of these people is what makes it more alarming I guess I don't know how hard it was to get a doctorate back in the That's 60s, true. but still probably pretty hard. That's a good point. And then in 1966, as it's this stuff's going on, shop owners in the town start to kind of profit off this. Oh yeah, they, I was going to say, how you know, long until start people start to realize selling like, yeah, like UFO t-shirts yeah. or like whatever you sell in the 60s, and settings start to dwindle thereafter. Mm. So this is kind of the coming to an end of the hysteria of the Warminster thing. And that's because one of the aliens was a he- looked like a human and bought some of these t-shirts and then they left. They're like, yeah. They know now. There's small kind of months that have a lot of sightings, especially one in 1967 where two police officers reported seeing an aircraft fly over the town of Dever, which is just miles from Warminster and they said it was shaped like a cross. Decades after, there were many sightings but seemed like more of the same and people didn't really care as much. <laughs> I guess it just, like, didn't make news when people saw UFOs as much as okay. it did in the 60s. Oh, well, it's pretty, yeah. They're probably just, like, by this point, they're like, okay. They probably got so many people writing in that they're just like, okay, half of these are probably just BS. Yeah, in the 1970s, it kind of resurged because the crop circles started to pop up in the mm-hmm, area. Mm-hmm. Classic. But that's pretty much the Warminster thing. Shuttlewood passed away in the 1990s. He he had written many books and left an entire legacy on the Warminster thing. All that had begun... On Christmas Day. And that's the Warminster thing. Hey. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Hey. The Warminster thing, the new Christmas tale that you can tell your children as they grow up. Yeah. Tell them to have a beer at the pub with a pitch. Yeah. That was a bad <laughs> accent of that one. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Warminster thing. But the thing that's crazy to me is all the reports that were similar. Yeah. It's pretty nuts that everyone started, like, that's the thing about these things is when it's just a random farmer from a backwoods like county who's just like, I saw a UFO, and you're like, all right, yeah, yeah. they probed me. Yeah, and right. But now when you get hundreds of sightings all from the same area with a bunch of people getting in on it, that's like, is everybody just out for attention? Especially when the story's buried in the paper and then 30 people come and are like, wait. Buck, I saw that too. <laughs> Shit, I thought Shit. I, I thought it was some gas. I don't <laughs> thought it was blimps. I thought it was me just having a couple sips of the old moonshine. But no, but no, 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 it was real. Damn, I don't know if it's. I'm ready to subscribe that it was a UFO, but they did see something like. They must experimental have. aircraft. I was going to say, it had to have been some kind of aircraft that they all saw because there's no way everyone is going to start writing it about seeing the same thing. It's just a Goodyear blimp. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. That's what I'm thinking in my head. is just like, there's a company local- had shitty advertising. <laughs> People thought it was UFO. <laughs> Just the Yeah, it could have been the advent of blimp advertising. So, as promised, this is not just a single story Christmas special. No, 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 no sir. No, dear listener, what are you, some kind of you, God goddamn idiot? dumbass? We love you. <laughs> and this is why we bring you two stories this Christmas. Two stories. <laughs> two you th- got two gifts under your metaphorical tree, baby. Oh, is that a regular suburban home? Because it's two stories. I'm going to tell you a little Christmas tale about mm-hmm. a family. A family? Ah, family is what Christmas is about. Really being together with your family. Especially when f- five of your ten children go missing. Go missing, you said On say? Christmas. <laughs> Ooh. Were they bad? Were they naughty? <laughs> let, let me tell you, these children, I bet they made the list once, but when he checked it twice. <laughs> he was like, yep, those five got to go. Because <laughs> tonight we're talking about the Solder family disappearance. What year is this in? Because if it was last year, I'm going to feel really bad when I'm making jokes. This about This is 1945. Ah, so not too soon. <laughs> so this is a West Virginian tale. Oh, hey, back to Mothman. If you're a listener in West Virginia, you're getting du- you're getting yeah. an extra well, Christmas present. I love West Virginia. Yeah, thank you guys for having the best. I've like, never been there, but it I've seen pictures. It looks beautiful, and you have great spooky tales. You guys got so good. Thank spooky you tales. to West Virginia. So, the Solder family. Nine of the ten solder children were home for the celebration ten solder children. Yes, there's 10 of them. dude are they Catholic? Why are they popping on so many kids? <laughs> <laughs> it was 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve. 1945. The young children negotiated a later bedtime so they could continue playing with their new toys that they just opened. Those savvy children negotiating. Yeah. Classic kid move. Remember yeah. Christmas Eve when you're like, "Oh, I just got or well, I mean, I didn't open till Christmas Day, but I know a lot of families that open on Christmas Eve." I got certain presents on Christmas Eve. I got presents from like extended family on Christmas Eve like my my godparents would give me. A present on Christmas Eve, and if it was like something that I could like stay up all night playing, I I definitely would have that feeling of like yeah, just like dude. I remember my parents to stay up, but also you kind of have that anticipation of wanting to wake up the next morning. I remember how hard it was to fall asleep on Christmas Eve. It's so hard when you're dude. just like so stoked and yeah. you're just lying there like God damn it, I want to wake up. Yeah, it used to be like when I was a kid, uh, my older siblings were teenagers, so I'd have to go wake them up. Oh, you got to be the <laughs> yeah, and now it's like. My older siblings, like, kind of have kids, so they're really used to waking up early. Ooh, or, like, so you're or the they have jobs. So now, payback. like, my sister will come in when I'm asleep and just, like, on Christmas morning and just start beating the shit out, like, just <laughs> wailing on my... She'll slap the shit out of my head and just, like, be like, wake up and scare the shit out of me and start punching me. A good <sighs> way to start a macabre Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> so... Their mother, Jenny Sauter, told them that they could stay up as long as their brothers, Maurice, who's 14, Maurice. and 9-year-old Louis, were still awake. So the father, George Sauter, and his two elder sons, John, 23, and George, Jr., 16, slept soundly upstairs, wiped out from a day of hard labor on the family farm. Well, that's a big gap between the first oldest and the second. Yeah, they had a... I guess well, I can't talk with my family, but, like, <laughs> still, like, yeah, they 23 uh, and then All 16? over the place with these kids. So... Jenny Sauter gets woken up at 1230 in the morning by a prank call. Who's calling, who's doing prank calls at 1230 a.m. on Christmas morning? I might now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good idea. The caller asked for someone who didn't live at the house, laughed in a way Jenny would later recall as weird, and was drowned out by the clinking of glasses and background laughter, probably a drunken Christmas party. Annoyed, she hung up and returned to bed. Half hour later, she was again woken to a loud thud. An object landed on their roof, then noisily rolled down the side. (gasps) Santa. She ignored it. She woke for a third time at about one in the morning. This time she could smell smoke. Santa. (laughs) George Sodder's home office was on fire. Panicked, Jenny ran into the bedroom, and the pair dashed around the large house, waking their children. Those who stayed awake late were in the attic. The access was blocked by a burning staircase. George grabbed the phone to call the fire department, but it wasn't working. The phone? The phone was not working. Well, that could be because the house is on fire, right? Could be. But we'll get into it. The two parents and the three eldest siblings, George, John, and Marion, and the two year old Sylvia, escaped the burning house. One of the children ran to the neighbors to call the fire department, while George ran around the side to grab his ladder in order to climb to the attic to rescue the remaining kids. The ladder wasn't in its usual position. Ooh. It's usually resting against the side of the house. However, it was later found thrown in a ditch. George then tried to. Wait, do they have a ditch laying in their backyard? Where's the ditch? There's a ditch nearby that this ladder was thrown into. <laughs> the ditch. Okay. George then tried to start one of his trucks to drive to the side of the house, but it wouldn't start. He tried the other with the same result. Both trucks were working fine the previous day, but oh, all of a sudden... Dude, fuck this. They're not working. This is way too... I hate how organized this is. It scares me. Right. Exactly. So, meanwhile, the fire brigade was severely understaffed due to both the time of the year and the fact that most firefighters were serving overseas in the war. The fire chief, who was the only man working that night, could not drive the truck and had to ring around to find another fireman. Fucking German Nazis just screwing (laughs) us. So the Sauter family members were forced to stand around for close to an hour as their house burned to the ground with five members of their family trapped inside. In the light of day, as the fire marshal sifted through the ashes, they were unable to find any trace of the five children. No bodies, no bones. It was as if they had completely disappeared. Wait, so all the kids in the attic are just gone? Gone. No, nothing in the ash to... How did they know they were in the attic in the first place? So they were, well, they, they knew they were upstairs playing with the, with their, like, toys and things in mm-hmm. the attic, but they couldn't get to them because once the fire started, the staircase was burning to get to Oh, so it's not like the kids were yelling from the attic. Well, they might have been. I mean, we weren't there. <laughs> Unless you did this and you want to confess live on our podcast. I would be much older. (laughs) Uh, That's true. (laughs) My voice probably can project. So they know the kids were up there in the attic. The house burns down. And also if they weren't, why, why would they not have come and, you know, been like, hey, mom, dad, we're safe, you know? And what were the ages of the ones that went missing? Were some of them like old enough to be like, like fight back if something happened or like make some kind of cognizant decision? Yeah, so the ages of the five missing children, Maurice Sauter, he was 14, Martha Lee Sauter, she was 12, Louis Sauter was 10, Jenny Irene Sauter was 8, and Betty Dolly Sauter was 6. Okay, so these kids are old enough to either fight back if they got kidnapped or definitely. make decisions on whether or not to stay in the attic or Correct. whatever. Correct, yeah, no, they were definitely like, it's not like it's like two and three-year-olds. a bunch just, of babies Right, there. they're not toddlers, they're like actual, you know, the they have- cardison- right. Again, unable to find any evidence of any of the bodies, nothing, no bones, nothing in the attic to explain what happened to the kids. So over the coming months, as more curious details emerged and the family thought back to the broken trucks, the faulty phone, the missing ladder, and the weird phone call, they started to question whether the children were even in the house at the time of the fire. That's what I'm questioning as well, family. So four days after the fire, George Sauter bulldozed soil over the ashes of his burned family. He just had a bulldozer line well, around? <laughs> farm, they're farmers, so they've got farm equipment. Oh, true. There's just ditches and bulldozers line right around. Yeah. <laughs> so he was intending to construct a memorial garden for his deceased children, although the fire chief had instructed him to leave the site alone so the fire Aww. marshals could investigate. That's adorable. George and Jenny couldn't stand the site of their house destroyed and ignored the fire marshal's request. Yeah, and fuck you, fire marshal. So the next day... You didn't come to help when there was a fire, but if we want to build a memorial garden, then you have an opinion. (laughs) So five days later, an inquest into the fire. A what? An inquest. Inquest. Investigation into what caused the fire. I've never heard the word inquest. I have never heard the word inquest? I've heard investigation. I've never heard Like there was an inquest into the... Really? Inquest sounds like an old RPG video game made in the 90s. Inquest for Windows 94. (laughs) So... An inquest found that the fire was caused by faulty wiring. The damn wiring. This immediately struck George's odd because he recalled that the Christmas lights on the outside of the house had remained on as they stood and watched the building burn. Ooh. So they said, you know, if this was a faulty wiring, how (laughs) we saw a beautiful- It's burning, but it looks festive. (laughs) An electrical fault would have instantly cut all the power. One of the jury members who served on the inquest had a previous run-in with George that sparked further suspicion. He was a life insurance salesman who became annoyed when George rejected his business. The house will go up in smoke, he warned, and your children are going to be destroyed. This was a guy on the jury? This was a guy on the jury <laughs> on this inquest. The guy who did it was on the jury? The, the guy, one of the, invest, one of the people who were in the inquest, the formal investigation. What a twist for a movie. The murderer is on the jury. Also, who says that shit to someone? <laughs> Hey, would you like to invest in life insurance? And the guy's like, no, I'm all right. And you're like, your entire house is going to burn. All your kids are going to die. <laughs> it's literally like the incel of 1945. Yeah. <laughs> incel inquest alert. Immediately takes a 180 in his yeah, entire right? outlook, his entire demeanor as Jesus. soon as you say no to him. So more suspicious evidence mounted up to suggest this was a case of arson. A telephone repairman inspected a hanging phone line that was connected to the house and ascertained that it had been deliberately cut. which would require someone to climb a 4.3-meter telegraph pole and reach a further 60 centimeters to reach the wire. Ooh, that's like free solo. Yeah, so you got to get real high up there. Now, the missing ladder was thrown down an embankment 20 meters from the house, and as the case gained media attention, a bus driver who serviced the route that passed the solder house told police he had seen a group of people throwing balls of fire at the house. Jenny Sauter recalled being woken by a thud on the roof, and months later, as the snow melted, two-year-old Sylvia was playing in the yard when she found a hard green rubber ball. Wait, so it was a bunch of wizards throwing fireballs at the house? <laughs> Apparently, that's what the bus driver says. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> George Sauter had seen these before. It was a pineapple bomb. A pineapple. Imagine how much a life insurance wizards were throwing <laughs> pineapple, bo- <laughs> pineapple bombs at your house. Well, well yeah, you've shit. obviously never played Inquest 94. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Jenny Sauter's, like, sifting through anything that's remaining from the burned-down house. She found kitchen appliances that kept their shape. Yet the family were told by the fire department that the fire was hot enough to burn their children to a point where no bones remained. No... That's a hot fire. That's a hot, hot, hot... No bones, but your kitchen supplies are... Yeah, right. Oh, something's weird. Right, so there's a lot of things that are not adding up. And the Sauter family did suspect arson, but they also believed that the five children... I also suspect arson. Yeah, there we go. Solder family. <laughs> hey, Sodder family, if you're out there. We got your back. We got your back, bros. The solder family suspected arson, but they also believed that their five children were still alive. Then sightings began <laughs> of the missing children. Oof. The earliest supposed sighting of the s- right there. <laughs> oldest supposed sighting of the solder children came as the house was burning. A woman claimed to have witnessed the fire and saw the children in a passing car sticking their heads out of the window. Like all the kids, all five of them <laughs> out of each window. <laughs> yeah. Then the morning after the fire, they were spotted at a rest stop eighty kilometers from their house. I served them breakfast, a witness said, mentioning a Florida number plate on the vehicle she assumed they arrived Ooh. in. A woman working in a hotel an hour from the solder house saw the children's photographs in a paper and recognized them as the family she served a week after the fire. The children were accompanied by two men and two women, all of Italian extraction, she told police in a statement. What the fuck does that mean? Descent? Oh. Why Italian extraction? I don't know. That's 1945, bro. That's her statement. Sounds offensive. It sounds way worse than being a yeah. like, sophomore <laughs> Italian people. You're like, they it's were Italian for people, Italian yeah. extractions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She said, I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered around midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to the children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out. And so I said nothing more and they left early the next morning. Now what's interesting about the whole Italian extraction that we've mentioned (laughs) I don't like saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't us. It's the 40s people. That's 40 right? people. people. were horrible in the 40s. So, the Sodders lived in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which is an area with a large population of Italian immigrants. Both hey. jo- both George and Jenny themselves were born in Italy, but George had made many local enemies due to his outspoken angry views on Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. I also don't like Benito <laughs> Mussolini. <laughs> You've got a, you're really rooting with these fodders. You're like... Let's every- just say in... I I resonate with these fodders, except for, wait, sodders. Fodders, not the fodders. Fodders is a bad look for them. It's the sodders and how they don't like fascist leaders and yeah. don't like their kids getting burned alive or kidnapped. So his fierce opposition to Mussolini was disliked in the immigrant community and many threats had been made against him uh, for his anti-Mussolini stance. What a dig. No, good for this guy. And Muss- Mussolini sucks. <laughs> And actually, the insurance salesman from earlier. Oh, I hate that guy. He mentioned the the dirty Mussolini. (laughs) No, he he mentioned that like the dirty remarks that you've been making about Mussolini. I'm gonna burn your fucking house down. I bet he felt like an idiot like five years later when Mussolini was hanging from a fucking post. (laughs) Holy shit! (laughs) Got him, dude! You fucking got Mussolini so good. (laughs) Fuck you, Mussolini, dude. Mussolini, it's on you, bro. The diss tracks out. (laughs) Hey, Mussolini's ghost. You know where to find me. So a few months before the fire, George Jr. and John Sauter had spotted a car parked along the school. Its occupants were spying on the youngest oh. Solder children as they left the school and walked along the main highway. Oh my god. Why are so many people after these people's kids? Well, you don't talk shit about Mussolini, apparently. <laughs> I hope you don't have kids. Scons. This whole thing was about Mussolini? You're going to have a kid soon, right? Yeah. Are you scared about shit-talking Mussolini? <laughs> hey, Mussolini. Eat shit! Dude, no, you have a kid <laughs> coming. Uh Mussolini, I didn't mean it, Mr. Mussolini, Please. <laughs> So George Sauter became convinced that his children were still alive and that the Italian mafia was responsible for their disappearance and that the house fire was clearly intended to cover up the kidnappings. Two years after the fire, George and Jenny Sauter sent their suspicions straight to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They felt their case was solid and surprisingly, FBI boss J. Edgar Hoover hey, <laughs> agreed, sending a personalized reply that offered to help if the local authorities would allow it. Would they? Well, the... Letter reads, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigation yes. ju- investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. That's the most common theme in Monday morning macabre <laughs> is how authorities or people that should be dealing with things absolutely refuse to <laughs> <laughs> drop the ball, baby. So while he was like, no, the Sauter family was thrilled that they got the response and they're like, hey, local police. Oh, wow. Signature from Ed Shehead yeah, right? Wouldn't it be sick if we had the FBI and the police was like, fuck you. This is our investigation. <laughs> exactly. They're like, hell no. And this actually further convinced the Sauter family of a cover-up because they're like, okay, so you don't want extra help? This is suspicious. Yeah, that's when, that's when I feel like even if they're not involved, that's when cover-ups become, like, devolve this thing into not looking bad. That even though you have no personal skin in the game... You just don't want to look bad, so then it gets covered up, and like a whole family suffers because all right. of their kids are gone. Oh yeah, yeah, that's or half of their kids are gone. Because the back then you were just the 40s man, just pumping out kids. Holy shit, nine kids! Well, Jesus Christ! It gets even more strange, macabre or strange, macabre branding. Yeah, branding. make sure you use <laughs> that brand. word. It's on brand. Google search macabre. We should come up. How many of you were like Monday morning macabre? What is this? Macabre? <laughs> is this like a cooking show? What's what's going on here? <laughs> is it macabre like a puff or a tart? <laughs> All I'm getting is that they hate fascist leader ben- <laughs> Benicio-, Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, I love Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, true. Benito Mussolini can go to hell. So, enter C.C. C. Tinsley, a private <laughs> investigator. That name is that of a tooth fairy not <laughs> a, a <probably laughs> hello it's me Cece hello it's Tinsley oh the woman's the thing yeah I have a bunch of C.C. Tinsley wrapped around my Christmas tree right now <laughs> so Tinsley was the one who <laughs> discovered that the insurance salesman who warned solder the house would burn down was also on the jury oh he fucking he was like yeah. this is, he's this like that's is suspicious weird. he also discovered something way crazier a priest confided in Tinsley that the Fayetteville fire chief, F.J. Morris, had confessed to discovering a human heart in the ashes, and he hid it in a metal box and buried it at the scene. This is some fucking. What? <laughs> Wait. So, first yep. of all, one, a priest broke, broke the vow of confession. Two, the only thing that, bones were gone, but a human heart was there? Yeah now second of all he hid it away like it was like well, talking listen to him. it gets even weirder it's like pies of the caribbean <laughs> yeah this gets weirder because after some prodding tinsley convinced the fire chief to lead him to where he buried the heart and sure enough there it was but a heart listen it was discovered the heart was actually a beef liver <laughs> a beef liver <laughs> the organ wasn't even charred suggesting it wasn't in the fire at all so someone was like, yeah, I don't came to know. the house after a fire, was like, yeet, just tossed in a beef liver in there? Yes, exactly. That. What? Now, they were confused. How do you mix up a human heart and a beet liver? Well, I mean, Mor- beef liver. After this, Morris confessed that he set this all up as a hoax in hopes that the family would see the discovery of a heart as proof of their children perishing in the fire. What a dick. What an absolute piece of shit. What he was like, I have nothing going on today. What if I give... Lie to a priest, <laughs> give a family false hope, and then literally let it all lead up to me just showing a beef liver. Like let it go that far. Yeah, it's it's it. It blows my mind that anyone would be like, "This is a good idea. Let's just bury this and it'll solve all their issues, and no one will know." It's not like they're farmers who know meat. So stupid. So stupid. Man, he's stupid, stupid as hell. I hate him. Nineteen forty nine rolls around, which is about four years after the fire. The Sodders hire a pathologist from Washington and order a more forensic What is a pathologist expi- like can you explain that for like people a forensic who might pathologist? Obviously, I know it's someone who like I've heard of speech pathologists, and that's this. Well is obviously it's like, it's not kinda that. like a like a CSI almost where they like go to crime season, investigate and find like specifics like here, I'll let me read this and it'll maybe give you clue you into like what Yeah. Okay. So Uh, They order a forensic excavation of the fire scene and his findings were striking. Several small shards of human vertebrae. Ooh. The bones were sent to the Smithsonian Institution for Analysis, which reported that the four lumbar vertebrae belonged to one person. However, the transverse recesses were fused, which means the body would have belonged to someone between 17 and 22. On this basis... The bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, the report read. The eldest missing solder child was 14-year-old Maurice. The report also noted that the bones show no signs of being exposed to flame, and that given the house burned for less than an hour, one would expect to find the full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. That's what I was going to say. I didn't know that, like... Without chemical or machine creation, that fires could burn hot enough to just incinerate bones. Oh, no, yeah. No, especially not if it's only like an hour of, of burning yet. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to get that kind of... Especially... Yeah. It's just 1940s, like what, wood? Like, there's nothing in the house that's right. chemical that's like going up. Maybe like yeah. a gas stove, but like, other than that, like, the fire shouldn't be that hot. Right. So, it basically concluded that the bones were most likely in the soil that George used to create the memorial garden. So oh, they like think- they were left over? Or they were like, yeah, they're in the soil. So these he, are bones from an entire another mystery that we don't... This possibly, not even yeah. There's it's, Holy shit. Right. So we don't know. So it's mis- it's like an inception of mysteries. It's like a Russian nesting doll of death mysteries. Kind of. So over the years, the Sader family is plagued with supposed sightings of their children, and George travels around the country chasing these leads, but never gets any kind of proof. Right? I can't imagine how yeah. horrible that is that... You're constantly getting people writing in being, like giving you false hope like, oh, come to Missouri. I saw your kids at a diner. And then like you fly down there and then like nothing comes from it. Yeah, so there's a lot of different examples of people who write to George Sauter. A Houston woman wrote saying that a man she knew got drunk one night and confessed to be Louis Sauter who was nine at the time of the fire. He claimed that he was living with his brother Maurice. George and his son-in-law, Grover Paxton, traveled there in great hope but could no longer find the woman with the initial tip-off. Local police recognized her description of the man and helped them locate him. However, he denied both that the conversation took place and that he was Lewis Sodder. Paxton later that's, said. That's some Bobby Dunbar shit. Yeah, pretty much. Very Bobby Dunbar like at this point. Episode, what episode was that? Six, five, six. I don't fucking remember. It's episode Whatever six. episode Lost Boys was, Right in so you can remind me. Yeah. I'm not pa- going to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> you have to remind me as the listener. Merry uh, Christmas. Paxton later said George wasn't completely convinced by the denial and carried his doubt to his deathbed. Paxton, the son-in-law, was like, hey, I still think that guy might be Lewis until he died. No genetic testing ever happened? No. In 1952, the family erected a billboard on the side of the freeway with photos of the children and offers of a $10,000 reward for information. The unsettling billboard became a morose landmark and helped cement the case in the minds of locals and those who passed through the town for decades, yet it never garnered any substantial leads. No one ever got the ten grand. Right. So that means... Nobody That thing literally stood there as a reminder of how fucked up this was. Right. They also got like prank write ins from oh, people who were like sick. pretending, which is really you have to be a real psychopath to do that shit. Yeah. In nine 19- well, oh here this is where it gets pretty sad in macabre. In 1968, George Sauter spoke to the Charleston Gazette saying, We can't go any further with the search. Time is running out for us, he said, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. The following year, George Sauter died. Grief stricken, Jenny dressed in black for the remainder of her life and spent her days tending the memorial garden at the site of the fire. When she died in 1989, the remaining Sauter children finally removed the battered billboard from the side of the highway. After 37 years of being a constant presence on Route 60, the Sauter children quietly disappeared once again. I, they definitely didn't die in the fire, but I definitely don't think they're, they lived that long. It's, that's the Sauter family mystery that nobody knows what happens to the five of them. You don't think they died in the fire? Do you think you don't do you think they were kidnapped by the do you like follow the mafia? Something weird happened where they all died, but it was not in that fire. There would have been some kind of evidence. There's no way that many people in that quick of a fire there's no evidence any of them were there. Yeah, there's a lot even of even clothing I don't believe can all be completely right. incinerated in an hour long fire. There's a lot of I mean there's so many places that this could go in terms of theories like it could be like is it a cover up by the family or something yeah. like that? Is it a is it the Italian mob? Is it that life insurance salesman? Is it the a fire chief? By the family? I think it'd be weird for a family to off five of their own kids. I'd I see one kid who like Maybe the father was like, I don't know, like five of the kids, especially with that huge age range. I don't know why you'd off that many kids. And then... Yeah. I also don't know, I guess, like their background or political leanings or why they would ever be a target that someone would come and take five of their kids and leave. And you like... Don't, you don't think that's a strong enough case to make somebody want to... I Like, I get... The, the case are super suspicious of two males, two females, all like the Italian people that like took yeah. five of them, but I don't get what the motive is. Well, there's apparently ties to... What was it? Because they were like talking smack about Well, they Mussolini? were talking smack about Mussolini, so people were thinking maybe that was what fueled some of this, of the disappearance and, of their kids, but... And, and it's, they just took five of their kids? And it's a primarily Italian, you know, area they live in, but... I believe I read, so you think the area would be hush, hush about it. Maybe, but also, in terms of the mafia thing, there's also certain ties of George Sodder before he came to West Virginia living in Italy, and maybe there's some kind of tie through that. That's something something we don't know about that, like, yeah, the reason why they'd be a target, because taking five kids isn't I can't imagine that's even remotely easy. No. If like, even if you're like a psychopath enough to do that, yeah. if you're a criminal, you would think mind, there would be, they would be taking screaming five and like, kids is super hard. Cause like, how do you grab all of them? How do you force right, all of them to do something? Right. Like, I don't understand. Like also to like. Orchestrate a fire that cuts off exactly where, like you, the, the fact that they're in the attic and you manage to get the fire burning on the staircase so that they can't get to them, and it's like yeah, all of like, these, things and you got in the house somehow yeah, to light that fire. It all but had no to, one seeing you between the kids in the attic and the people in the first floor. Right, it would have had to be so many, like uh, I guess optimal, that's what the ladder would be missing. Right, I mean that's see that's another thing though because that's like. You start to go, okay, this sounds far-fetched and crazy, and then all these other evidence pops up with, like, the the ladder missing, truck's not working, phone cut, electrical wire problems. Like, there's so many things like that. It's almost impossible to not think something happened. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. It's one of those... It's kind of like the... uh, What was the last episode we did? Koweki? Yeah, the kind of thing that's, like, nothing explains it, but but nothing (laughs) makes it seem like an accident or, like... What it obviously is does not exist. It's not obviously just a fire where kids died in it, because right there's just way too much happenstance and strange occurrences to yeah make sense. Which for is that. that sweet niche where we operate. We get right into Monday in there. Morning of a Cop, and that <laughs> is a Christmas tale for the ages. Ah, I hope you gathered around a fire and listened My. to it with your family. Yeah, if you didn't, make sure you rewind entirely. Gather your family around the tree and make them all listen to this. (laughs) Yeah, all of your friends and family in their Christmas sweaters and drinking their hot chocolate, sit them down... And play back. Put this on at your family Christmas party and see how long it takes <laughs> yeah, for I want everyone else in your family to be like, what the fuck is this? Shut it off.
1: Why are they talking
0: it? so much shit about Benito Mussolini? <laughs> I want listeners to have record scratch noise as they lift it up off of the record player. They have formatted this podcast into a record and then start playing it for everyone. We should make records of our podcast. Has sick. anyone done that? That's so indie. That be us? really indie, cool. They would sell do. it at Urban Outfitters. Oh, for sure. You Just made, Monday born Macabre Records season one sick. as a record, oh. that would be sick. Who do we talk to about that? If hey. you're, hey, if you're someone who can get us free records, how the fuck do you make records? How does that work? It's a needle in a fucking plastic groove, and it makes yeah. music. Well, it yeah, you the groove is the music, right? The groove is the that's the most beautiful thing you've ever said in your life. The groove Dorothy. is the music. The Merry, is Christmas is the music. <laughs> Merry Christmas to all. Merry Christmas. And remember, and, ding, 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 don't ding. listen to this till Christmas, unless you already have, in which case, <laughs> Merry Christmas. That's the Christmas episode of Monday Morning Macabre 2019. Thank you all for listening uh, we hope you have a merry crim- Crimbus Christmas. Make sure to follow our socials: Twitter pod, Monday Morning Macab on Instagram and Facebook, and www.mondaymorningmacab.com is our website. We want to thank everybody for listening. We've gotten um, a really good, like, I mean, a good amount of downloads. We're really excited about that. This episode will be the first episode post a thousand downloads, so that's a big deal for Woo! us. We're we super made excited. It, baby thank you all so much thanks for everyone who's tweeting and making adding us on instagram and twitter and all that good stuff we appreciate it honestly way more people ever give a shit about this than i (laughs) thought (laughs) exactly and also thank you to everybody who's leaving the, you know, good reviews, five-star reviews, we appreciate it. Yeah, people who add us in, like, mentions in their stories on Instagram, that's fucking surreal, you make dude. You <laughs> make two strangers' days by yeah, doing I one simple- being like, <laughs> someone's like, hey, yeah, you, should, should, you listen should listen to this on their Instagram story. I'm like, holy fuck. like <laughs> who
1: me? <laughs> that's um, me. But
0: it really makes our day, and we really appreciate it. So thank you all for listening, and have a very merry, macabre Christmas. Have the most merry, macabre Christmas. Goodbye. Goodbye, and fuck Benito Mussolini.